what is beautiful about the cannabis industry is there's no rules. And, you know, uh, as an immigrant, like this is kind of the American dream for me at this this moment in time where you can carve your own path because there are no rules. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Lulu Sway, co-founder of On The Revo. Lulu, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing well. As you see, it's fall in the uh, eastern part of the country also called the right coast versus the left coast. And uh, excited to be uh, chopping up with you guys today. Uh, excited to dive in. And Kellen, just before we get started, I just wanted to make that very clear which coast that she said that she's located <laughs> on, uh, just to put that on the record. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, we were talking about that earlier. I think, though, that there is some uh, some West Coast roots, though, if you will. Um, so I love the West Coast. My parents immigrated from China, from mainland China with me to Eugene, Oregon, which is actually a sister city of, uh, I think, um, Boulder. Are you, are you in Boulder? I'm really close to Boulder. Some people call it Boulder, but we call it, I call it Erie. (laughs) I grew up in, um, in Eugene and, um, it was really interesting that the folks that kind of took us under their wing, like taught my parents English, um, babysat me helped us acclimate to American culture, um, were uh, cannabis growers and distributors. And um, so I've had plant medicine like in my life since I guess we first landed in the United States Um, and then went to school in Washington State, um, jumped over to um, New York for the first time, winter, freaked out, went to San Francisco, um, and I've been playing the the ping pong back and forth between both coasts now for probably like almost 20 years. I love it. And it's really clear to see kind of how the idea of Canada is probably percolated in your mind. But I guess the real question is, when did you you see it for more that this could be an opportunity for a profession and something that you wanted to kind of get into? I mean, I think I debated pro-cannabis legalization. Remember like mock Congress in high school? Like, I mean, (laughs) so since a very young age, but you know, um, within the, let's call it the legacy world, right? My aunties and uncles, it was already something that they were doing to provide for the family. So um, it never really crossed my mind that that would be going to such a large scale. So um, in 2015, uh, when it became legal in, or adult use became legal in Washington state, um, my buddies from Root Sciences, you know, called me back and, and they were very gracious and supportive. And um, they asked if I wanted to help them fix their uh, tech platform that they were using at that time. I think it was BioTrack. And there was nothing I could do because at that time, BioTrack closed off all the APIs. So I was like, guys, I can't really do anything with this. Um, so they were just like, well, why don't you stay and see if there's anything you want to do in cannabis? It was all new. Um, so they are tier three grower and producer also. Um, so I'd say like they eat their own dog food. They grow weed. They you know they do manufacturing and processing around it. But the other part that was really interesting to me was the machine side, right? So my... My whole family is a bunch of nerds, like they're all engineers. So I'm like, how do you get this plant into this oil, into this distillate, into like this isolate? And, um, and now we see all the, the wealth and breadth of different types of products that are out there. 
and blending that with your UX UI design, how how does the transition? I just ask a lot of questions. I always say like with user experience, you're not really an expert. You're just kind of an expert at learning how people do things. And your whole purpose is to drive um, design and creating tools for people that will be helpful for their workflow. Right. So it was just fascinating. Like, I mean, things a lot. <laughs> I'm going to say some pretty controversial things, probably. So like there's really nothing new in in cannabis and extraction and distillation. Like this has been going on for years. And you know, I think what my guys did at Root Sciences, they were smart about it. They're, they weren't like, oh, this is all new. I'm going to create a new machine. And, you know, give it to friends, the R&D. And as soon as it breaks, you know, it's going to be six months before I get a replacement part. They're like, okay, the world has been doing this for a very long time. And they did their research and found like the best uh, worldwide global company that produced machines that could do what they wanted to do. So they partnered with them. And, you know, um, if anybody knows about the root science guys, like, their machines are probably like the Bentleys of extraction and, and processing because they're working with um, companies and organizations that have been doing this for a very long time in other industries and nailing it. So, yeah, one of my favorite sayings is uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel in cannabis. And that is so common throughout the entire industry. And so did you have very similar experiences once you started getting involved in the New York market and the East Coast market more as it was starting to come online? Did you kind of like have like deja vu flashback moments? This is my third market. So <laughs> a thousand percent. You know, my whole thing is like, look, if it's already been done before, go and look, right? Like there's data now. You can go and see what products are out there. You could see like what is the buying patterns of those products. You can ask questions like there's so much to learn from from the past. But, you know, sometimes you people are very excited about cannabis. And, you know, like it's 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 hard to always be like a poo poo person. Like I'm always like, oh, well, you should take a trip to Washington or California and just like look at the products that are out there, like see what people are doing instead of trying to reinvent the wheel every single time, which does get very frustrating as a user experience. I think that's so important. And just kind of like taking it from New York's perspective, they are not the first state to legalize. And the people who are breaking into this industry, let's say some of them for the first time entrepreneurs could have easily looked out to the, the West Coast states who have been around for a while now and seen kind of maturation of the markets and seen the ups and downs, which happened, the stabilization of the prices, the, the crashing of the, the market also. And like, those are the type of perspectives that I think sometimes get lost. It's, it, cannabis is so fragmented, but at its core, th things can be learned. So is that the kind of the goal of the On the Rebel was to kind of take some of those learnings from the West Coast states and to bring them to the East Coast states? For On the Rebel, Jacoby, my co-founder, and I'm, he's from Colorado. So he started at Mindful, um, which is one of the first verticals. And we both at that time had like designed and, and created a tech platforms in our perspective worlds. Um, and we met and it was like the first time I had met anyone in New York that was actually talking intelligently about, <laughs> about cannabis industry. And I was like, okay, like, let's go. So what was important for us was, you know, we saw all the snake oil that was being pitched. Um, and of course it's New York, you know, everyone's a hustler. And we were just like, well, why don't we create a room where we bring the folks that we've met along the way in our prospective states and markets and bring them to New York. 
and, you know, have the New York audience really understand what's going on. Um, there's just like a lot of chatter back then about advocacy and um, invest investment, but there wasn't anyone talking about like ground truth, like supply chain side, like this is all the things that are happening. So, um, and also we, we know, I've been in New York for almost 20 years. We know that New York is a little bit different in terms of relationship management, right? It's like, um, it's high touch, longer term relationship building versus, you know, I've lived in San Francisco. I lived in LA, Washington state, you know, Oregon, you could run a business just with zoom calls on the East coast. You can't do that. Right. I always say like, imagine if you're courting New York, imagine if it's like, you're going to see your friends, Sicilian grandma. Right. There's just a lot more like old world expectations and behaviors in terms of relationship building. But those relationships last for a very long time. And the sales cycle is is shorter because it, it could be like, hey, Brian, I know like you're starting dispensary. You're my guy. Like, who are you using for POS? Who are you using for packaging? Who are you using? You tell me I'm like, you're my guy. So, boom, I'm going to call them to, to like, you know, to to sort out a contract. Versus West Coast is like, I'm going to call every single POS group and have a demo and then work with my team. And da, da, da. it just, it's completely different, you know, <laughs> you know, but being on both coasts and kind of working in different industries, like I get a good sense. You just have to read the room. It's just so easy to just read the room. And I just feel like people just don't want to do that and missed opportunity. I just want to point out that I think you just described the difference between Kellen and I just perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how that goes. (laughs) So was that transition harder? Did, did New York take, take us through like the timeline, right? Was this prior to legalization? Was this way earlier? What was the timeline? This was in 2016. So Jacopi and I were just like, well, let's just create a room and invite our friends um, from other Prime places. the environment, start warming up the waters. Yes, we're seeding, right? This was just, this was all seeding. Um, and then, you know, we started at a working space that Jacoby got like free um, access to because he was like the tech support guy there. So, you know, it was like $500. Um, we filled the room with a hundred people. We had 10 speakers come through, which was, we're like, holy shit, like, this is amazing. And it's really cool to see a lot of those speakers are now how their careers have evolved, you know, and um, it was really great. And then the next level, we leveled up and we got this comedy club. So now we had a stage we didn't have to build out. Um, And after that COVID hit in 2019, so we moved everything um, online. And, you know, what was just important was just to keep the conversations happening and, and create a community online that matched kind of the energy and the vibes that um that we were able to do with our events and then in 2022 2022 we came back with like right at the like the the conversion point of of the world opening up again and we had our first uh in-person conference the revelry conference and i had never seen butts and seats for 10 hours like people were just so excited and you know Brian it's it's very rare for new yorkers to get excited about anything so just to see people scribbling and taking photos and like no one left their seat um it was just a really magical moment and from from there on um we've added the trade show so 2020 oh 
you have to come to our next one. So we tested two smaller trade shows and they were phenomenal. The first one, it was in February. We did a little like Jacoby's also in products. So we're like, let's just a little test. And I'm like, Jacoby, don't worry about it. It's going to be like 30 people, you know, six brands. Let's just put it in the gymnasium downstairs. And he's like, fine. Begrudgingly, he said, fine. So when I was like, oops, we've got 48 of the 60 card groups coming. And then we had 60 tables, 60. I was like, I didn't even know there were 60 brands at that time. This was February of this year. And he was like, he gave me the death glare. And, um, but we did it. And we filled that gymnasium with so much positive energy. Like, Helen, you have to come out because when New Yorkers get excited, like it buzzes, like there is a palpable energy there. And then at the end of that, the uh, the farmers were like, bring this fucking upstate. And we're like, Ugh. and like, okay, well, we thought it was upstate, but I guess it's not really upstate. So, so this summer we hosted the second one in um, in Hudson, the Basilica Hudson. It was really beautiful. So there were about 250 licenses given out that time. And we brought in 140 card groups. We we had a sponsor come in and charter a bus. So we brought in all the card folks from um, from uh, Manhattan, and then we had about 80 uh, vendors, local farmers, you know, all the AUCCs, AUCPs, and brands. And like that was another phenomenal event, just to get people in the room. Like you remember, Kellen, your the openings of your markets when just people were oh, just yeah. it's a to be together and like you can't beat that like that's the best part and then um the third part of what we do is something always to do with community so we held our second block party quintessential new york summertime vibes so that's a kind of like the three-prong thing that we do now which is the the you know kind of signature talk ted talk style and then the trade show now and then a cultural event supply chain I want to revisit that because I think that's just not like recognized enough, especially from an, an early market perspective, right? You, you open up a dispensary or you want to enter one part of the to the market. You don't have an established infrastructure. So when you're going to connect with other vendors, like where else could you look if, if you didn't have an event like yours? I mean, how else like do you find that relationship to rely on the criticalness of let's say a, a vendor that you can't just Google and, and find four people. You There's only a few here in New York. So, I mean, how how critical was that in order to helping some of these individuals connect? Well, we are definitely like, again, from the UX and kind of product side, you know, product market fit, right? We never wanted to do a conference or a, a trade show because we didn't want to waste people's time, energy, or money, right? Like resources are scarce in cannabis. Like it didn't make sense for us to, really do anything until the market really opened. Um, so, you know, we kept on hearing from, you know, our friends that were working with a lot of the card applicants, they were saying things like, oh my God, like they don't, some of them come from, you know, the legacy world. They're not going to be able to procure the same way that they do normally. A lot of folks <laughs> that got licenses have no experience with weed at all. So they're, they're like, how do we find it? How do we find it? And then on the supply chain side with the growers and producer processors, a lot of them aren't even based in the city. So there was like, you know, and where's the lists? You know, so it's it's really hard. There's like, I can see the pros and cons of why there's no database. I just texted the regulators. I'm like, is there a database that people can just kind of enter a license number and actually see who the license holder is? 
it's not doesn't exist yet right so and i can see why because you also want to protect the identity and um so they don't get like spammed all the time so yeah it's it's been a very interesting um experience but we took the time to really try and talk to all so we reached out to um we combed through all the lists that we could have and we used all of our resources to see if they had another list so we're using a lot of like spreadsheets to figure out if these were real people not real people real licenses not real licenses and then we asked our friends that were touching the card folks to tell them about the event and then we used another group canny the cannabis association new york to reach out to their AUCCs and AUCPs and boom, like it became a thing. So it was, it, it's, you got, you know, Brian telling their next one, you got to come. Was there a significant like difference in the energy from in the trade show from the one that you quote unquote had down South versus the one you guys had energy in Northern after kind of people had heard about it and more momentum had built. Was there just significantly more energy? Same energy. Same energy. Just- Same energy. Just in a, in a larger space in, I guess, a lower upstate. <laughs> who, who would you say was more excited? The actual uh, people per- like at the trade show, the vendors or the participants? Because I imagine there's got to be a significant insight on both sides, right? I mean, like, I heard things like, this was a fire hose of leads. Like, people were like, we couldn't even walk the vendors or the the, the license hold, the op- supply chain operators who had the tables are like, we couldn't even walk around because we had, we couldn't leave our table, right. you know? And then the, the card folks, the retailers who came through were just like, oh my God, like, we came all the way from Long Island or we came all the way from, like, where Niagara is and, you know, like, thank you for holding this because there was no way we could actually meet the people behind the retail shop or behind like all of these brands or like having phone calls or emails and like, we got to meet face to face. And again, like that's the East coast thing that I'm talking about. Like you want to shake the hand of the person that you're talking to and you get their energy. Like in New York, we're so on top of each other. Like, I think it really hones your vibe. You know, like when you're feeling energy from people and like, that's just, I don't know how to describe it with even like KPI that is, but like you, you get to really understand people through just interaction and energy. One of the things that I've heard about your event is that it's the perfect blend of the cross-section of all the different personalities. And I'm wondering how you're able to highlight the diverse backgrounds of the individuals, because that's a challenge we've seen in cannabis is that it not not everyone gets highlighted the right way. So I'm curious to know how you how you balance that challenging perspective. Oh, that's a good question. I think one, um, we were early seeders in this, right? So like we we built a pretty good reputation of um trying to be intentional with everything that we do. Like we don't want, I call these beige, the beige conferences and trade shows. Like it's, it's beige carpet, it's beige walls, it's beige food. It's kind of beige people, beige turn. Um, and that's one thing uh, Jacoby and I were just like, every conference we go to, it just doesn't really resonate with us. And like, we're in New York. And the thing that I love about New York, sorry, Kellen, is the fact that um, it's multi, it's like multifaceted, right? Like, West Coast, love you guys. It's a very one note, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, you're from this part. You have, you know, adopted your dog from the shelter. You recycle and compost. Sometimes you do like a microdose regimen, you know, <laughs> like it's, 
it's kind of standard. And then on the on the East Coast, anything you're interested in, like you'll find something or someone that you can connect with out here. So like that's that's one of the biggest things. So I think just being in New York and just having all the different things you're interested in and you you're kind of forced to be outgoing, right? Like it's New York is New York City. Sorry, I don't know about upstate or to the east. Sorry, Brian. It's definitely a city of type A personalities that are strivers. So you're you're used to people like just being and going after things. So I think that's one thing too, is you can have multiple interests. Like I'm inviting my friends from fashion, from TV and video and and you know, entertainment from um design from art from music like there's so much of that that you're crossing different boundaries all the time that you're able to bring that then i think also being raised with legacy like aunties and uncles it's also easy to drop into that world and just be like hey like i need to honor this this is where i learned my information and you got to respect you know, you got to learn from the past to be able to problem solve for the for the future. And like everyone deserves an opportunity to cross over if they want to. So um, so we've been able to like hit different groups. And also our team is very like multifaceted. Jacoby's a math major, <laughs> you know, like he's a he's a math nerd. Peter from our team is a neuroscientist like he's been doing interesting experiments around gut health and disease um Saki from our team has been a huge activist um in the northeast uh Jason from our team he's fucking badass he's um he's a human rights attorney and just doing a lot of really amazing things around just like trans rights gay rights um Gigi from our team is one of the first women that I met that was doing marketing and cannabis. So like we've kind of Voltron together to like reach out into our perspective worlds and bring people in. So um, sorry, that was a pretty long winded answer, but <laughs> that's how we do it. No, I think that's perfect. And I think New York is the the melting pot. So to be able to kind of bring all those personalities together is not an easy feat. We've seen other people speak glowingly uh, about your events specifically and others they say well it's the same five or six people that speak at the stage all the time and we're looking for more diversity so i'm curious to know though has there been a signature talk or one talk or someone out there that you heard from them and they just kind of blew your mind so we've never so this is the thing that makes us a little bit different we've never done a call for speakers like we don't believe in that so um normally what we do is we'll create programming around feedback that we hear about the market um so we're very responsive to how our market goes um and then important issues you know that that need to be addressed so we'll create the programming for any of our event and then we'll like go through our rolodex like who would be a great speaker and then um, we'll also reach out to friends so at any one time any speaker on our stage any performer on our stage is two degrees of separation from us. So we've been able to really like keep that tight, like energy and vibe. And then we also challenge our speakers to kind of bring bring their game to New York, right? Like sometimes, you know, speakers have been on stage, you get a little bit jaded, they're doing the 20 minute presentation, same thing over and we're like, you get eight minutes, eight minutes. And, you know, one thing that we really hope that our audience takes from you is, something educational, something inspirational, 
and you know everyone feels connected to you because again I'm talking about the East Coast um, vibe, New York vibe, I should say. We want anybody on our stage to be the guy or the girl. So like anyone in our audience who sees someone on stage and like, oh, you want to talk about cultivation? That's your girl. You want to talk about tech? There you go. So, you know, we just want to keep adding to our community, our trusted sources of folks blowing my mind. Oh my gosh, been a while. I think for me, there was, I think that was the last, the first time I got really, 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 really super excited was Abu. I don't know what happened to them, but they were doing like genetic, they were talking about doing like genetic mapping to strains or something. I think they sold to a bigger company oh, yeah, and that's yeah. why you don't hear about them anymore. 2018, <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe you've been in this game for too long and feel a little bit jaded, but um, I'm always excited to hear out of the box solutions. Like let's, let's go. Why eight minutes? And how much due diligence do you do with these speakers? If they are one degree, two degrees of separation, that's got to limit the the due diligence process at least. Yeah, but what, yeah, also yeah. by eight minutes. So because I was on the supply chain side, I was able, like when new markets came and the Roots guys did an installation, I would go with them. And then I got to really see what was happening in new markets, right? Like, oh, we're doing an install in LA in someone's basement. Ooh, okay. Oh, we're going to go to Maryland and do a full like $10 million, you know, building, build out installation. So um, I have a cannabis tree. <laughs> like I, I have like a telephone book. Um, so if someone is... Is it really a book or is it like just a contact list? It's just my contact list. <laughs> <Like laughs> I don't think the young people know what a Rolodex is <laughs> anymore. So if it's someone that I haven't heard about or someone, you know, even if I've known them, I really want to talk to someone that they've worked with before, right? Because like, just because I get coffee with someone, I really don't know the ins and outs of how they are in business. Um, So I'll just do calls. Just like when you do, like if you're applying for a job or someone's applying for a job in your company, you call and do like reference checks. So it's essentially doing reference checks and be like, hey, what's your sentiment? You know, the first question I ask, are you friends, you know, with them? Have you worked with them? You know, what are some things that you liked? There's the same thing as a reference call for any other type of job. And um, and then, you know, I hopefully I get as much data as possible. And then it's up to me to make that decision if they're going to be on our fuck yes list or fuck no list. We have a very strict fuck yes and fuck no list. If anyone on our team has a fuck no we, you know, believe in our team members and we're going to respect that for whatever reason, there's a reason behind it, not question it. So that's our fuck no list. And then we definitely have our fuck yes list that we, we love these people. I think it just shows how small the industry is, right? And how critical your reputation is for those relationships. And I, I think that's something that your team has done a really good job. And I'd love you to expand on why, let's say for new markets, that's even more paramount to moving forward. Yeah, so a lot of people ask, like, why do markets kind of don't, like, every time a new market comes on, everyone's like, and then it's the same thing over and over again. Uh, my philosophy or my hypothesis on this is, like, no one does their due diligence, Even from the regulatory side to the legislative side to business side. Um, you have these folks. I'm, for me, I'm like, okay, 
failing up seems to be a thing sometimes in cannabis, just like every other industry. I'm like, if they're from a market that's collapsed, like, why are you putting them as a decision maker or an advisor for a new market? Like, and I said this earlier, I'm like, can you please set, keep your rejects from other states, like in markets, like out of New York right now or any market? Um, I'm sure that's not a popular sentiment, but um, I'm just like, you can just do a quick call, like reference checks. And again, like I've heard just these horror stories and I'm just like, oh my God, you just had to do like a couple reference checks and, you know, people just get, you know, there's not enough time to make a decision. There's everything is so rushed, but like, even if you took an extra week to just do some reference checks, um, I think you could save like months and months of like when shit happened, bad shit happens and trying to fix it. I think that's so important. I think it's, it's, it's easier than most people like tend to believe, right? Everyone is probably one or two degrees from someone else. And I think the one thing that I've really enjoyed about this industry is people are very open. They're very interested in helping others to succeed because everyone recognizes how hard this industry is and how the outside industry is, is all fighting back, right? We, we don't need additional challenges. We're all looking to alleviate challenges. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, um, West coast people, when you're coming to, to New York specifically, just be prepared for some like very blunt <laughs> conversations. I love the West Coast. I love lifestyle. But I, for me, the people on the East Coast and how we interact resonate, like they will be very upfront with you. So like all the kind of passive aggressive, like, oh, I don't like stuff that happens <laughs> on the West Coast a lot. And you all know what I'm talking about. Um, just be prepared to like, to like, don't be so sensitive, like <laughs> be able to take it as feedback, be able to um, learn from it, you know, of having conversations where like West Coast people have been coming in with this like ego and attitude like, oh, like, hey, we, uh, you know, culture goes from West to East. I was like, excuse me. Um, and I'm like, stoner culture. Yes. West Coast stoner culture. But New Yorkers use cannabis to create global culture. And that's the biggest difference. I'm like, all right, San Diego, you're, you're telling me that San Diego is, is, is bringing culture to New York. Okay, cool. Got you. So there's like this, this level of kind of like, enti- like entitlement and attitude, which is very kind of like, okay, I'm not going to really want to work with you because if you're already bringing that, it means you're not listening and learning and coming to my grandma's house and sitting at the table and being like, understanding of that what is the difference between the gray market and the legacy market legacy oh gosh so what we're seeing in new york is the gray market is actually hurting addressable market and market share across the board right so legacy market i would say you know folks that have been in this game for a while maybe it was socioeconomic economic reasons Maybe there was, you know, they were coming out of the Vietnam War and maybe they were coming out of X, Y, and Z. It was a necessity and probably one of the only options that they people had to make money. Gray market, still underground, but to me, it's just a lot of opportunists that have come in. The smoke shops, like, they're here. I mean, every market, it's the same circle. I mean, the same cycle, right? So, like, at some point, maybe the state will shut them down. We'll see what happens. It's always kind of this whack-a-mole thing with, with the gray market. And I've seen a lot of my friends in the legacy market in New York, like 
some of them had to shut down. Like, you know, I just talked to one friend. I was like, oh, those 50, 75, 100,000 days are gone. You know, like there's just so many, so many smoke shops opening up and other things. And like the consumers aren't aware of what's going on because we're limited in advertising also. Yeah. How could like, that's the challenging part is like, how, how does one who's unfamiliar tell the difference, right? Someone who's interested in supporting, let's say legacy brands, but they go into New York city and they're inundated by various smoke shops. How do you, how do you tell you, how do you tell the difference? I mean, I think it's just by asking questions, right? Like, um, I think New York right now has a sticker. It's, I think there's a, you know, sort of certification, but someone was telling me like, they've made fake ones of those already. It's New York, baby. Exactly. Usually, like if they're selling California products, if you're seeing like California stickers or out of state, it usually means it's not legal. Um, but then someone was saying at that same store with the same like verification, they're selling, you know, New York brands. I was like, okay, like that's again, I don't really have a solution, <laughs> solution or answer for that. But, you know, the other thing, my other company babies the cannabis media council. So we've been um, creating, we just created a really amazing campaign called I'm high right now. So that's our, our PSA and just trying to get more information out there. That's not just kind of the, the government sciencey, like you look at it and you're like, you know, what is this? Let me check out type of campaign. So it's a really cute one. It's really fun. It's clever. If you guys uh, get a chance, like take a look at that as well, but getting it out there just to the public and even having conversations is just important. Maybe can you share a little bit more about that and maybe just hint towards what's happening on November 8th? Oh, okay. So Cannabis Media Council, um, my co-founders are Joyce Sonali. Um, they, she runs an amazing um, farm, Sonoma Hills Farm over in, um, in Sonoma County. Um, it's beautiful, you guys should actually try and do a live podcast session there. Like it's a functional farm. They got the hemp, they got the weed, they've got the cows, they ate one of the cows. Like it's like a full functional uh, farm. Um, and then Amy Dennison, who's just the power, I think she's probably like the most informed about cannabis marketing and advertising in the industry period, the end. And, you know, they brought me in about a year and a half ago. Um, because what was really important was how do we get, you know, cannabis will be federally legal at some point. Like, how do we provide information for the mainstream media folks and journalists and media companies who are going to be coming in at some point? Um, and then how do we kind of inform, you know, cannabinoid and cannabis companies on how to enter in conversations with with mainstream media. So um, we formed a partnership with uh, with Hearst. There's a couple other ones. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about yet, um, but I don't think I can talk about November 8th, but I will say it's probably a site that a lot of people go to. We're doing a full 50 state, a 24 hour takeover of the site with our I'm, I'm High Right Now campaign. And um, I will text you guys after November 8th. And, and, and see what you guys think. Or you could just quietly tell us nobody's here except for the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite under the radar brand or startup here in New York? Oh, man. So, of course, Stone Pizza, Pizza Pusher Spot. 
Have you, have you been there yet, Brian? I have not been there yet, but I was hopeful for his Babylon location that never opened oh, up. Oh, come uh, to our industry night. So we're like this month, we're starting last Friday's Revelry Industry Night. And Chris has been very like generous with us. So we have his, his lounge. So awesome. we're going to start hosting on the 20th. On the 26th is our first one. So you'll get to actually come through. Ah, I think that's like the beautiful intersection when people see that like it's it's so eye opening for them because I think it's for most people it's like a different perspective on what they've assumed cannabis to be like. And the way he's he's built those places is just beautiful. And it's a, it's such a nice environment. And I think it's like those those environments that just quickly change society's perspective on what quote unquote cannabis can become in the future. Yeah, because he he added he he intru- introduced cannabis and. In- in something that already exists, which is like, you're having dinner, you're eating with friends, you're, it's not just like a big smoke out, like, women, you have to bring the ladies to come, right? Like, and you also have to bring um, friends that don't smoke, or don't consume, you have to be able to like, bring them into the fold too. And that's what I, what I do love, I think he got it right, which is like, you create an environment where everybody feels comfortable it's visually beautiful. The staff is super friendly and like, it's just normalized. Right. So, um, I'd say like his brand, I love, uh, another underground brand. It's hard because like the weed is so strong now these days for me, I'm like a two to five MG girl and I've kind of gone down the road of psychedelics and we, we can have another conversation about that at some point too. Um, but there's, oh man, it does not hurt though that Chris's food looks incredible. Also, I'm it's sure very that, delicious. Does, that does not hurt his. It tastes uh, good too. It tastes really good. It, well, know, that's the important thing. Sometimes I'm like, Chris, can you like not infuse this? Because you know, 100 mg's is a little bit too, too much for me, and he'll be he'll be gracious enough to do that. Dream smoking session: three people dead or alive. Oh, dream smoking session. Maya Angelou would be one of them. Mary J. Blige, for sure. And my mom. Beautiful. Yeah. The family element is always a fun addition. You're like, mom, yeah. it's Mary J. Blige, Mary, my Angelou, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most expensive lesson you have learned? Due diligence. Oh, my God. Due diligence. I think I my biggest expensive six-figure lesson was forming with the wrong partners. And having to pay lawyers to uh, disengage with that. So everything I'm saying about due diligence, like these are lessons that, that I wish someone would have told me back in the day. When you got started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? Um, I got right working with the right people. The Roots guys, they're, <laughs> I call them the brothers I never wanted. We met when we were 19. But they were family. So finding people that are not keeping things to their ch- like close to their chest, that are open to sharing, open to, to ideas. Um, again, like I've been really fortunate other than, other than that big fuck up with being really impressed. I was trying to raise money at a tech platform. I was doing all of the check boxes that you're supposed to do when you're like a tech entrepreneur. I really got swayed with people's resumes 
I got swayed with their reputation within the industry. And with weed right now, I'm like, if you are coming as an executive leadership C-suite, if you aren't able to roll up your sleeves, um, because a lot of times when you're in other industries, these folks have teams, right? Like they're the strategists, they have teams to execute. That's not the case with weed. So if if you want to come in, make sure you know that there's not really a team as of yet in most cases that are going to like execute for you. So roll up your sleeves. I got the ones that didn't really want to, <laughs> that had use of teams and it just got really awkward and uncomfortable. And um, it was the biggest lesson is don't, don't get swayed by someone's experience. I think that's, that's so, so powerful. And I, I just hope that people recognize the importance of that because my favorite question is asked people once they've been in the space a little bit, they come from highly established roles outside different than you thought. And every single time, yes, harder, harder, harder than I ever thought. And I think that's something just to take from, from those people who have accomplished a ton in their life, just to recognize that it's hard here. It's a hard space to navigate. I mean, what is beautiful about the cannabis industry is there's no rules. And, you know, as an immigrant, like this is kind of the American dream for me at this this moment in time where you can carve your own path because there are no rules. At the same time, coming from user experience and, you know, working with enterprise, not having rules, not having SOPs, not having like standard protocols on how to do things is the most frustrating thing ever. Perfectly said. Yeah. All right. Prediction time. Lulu, what one thing can be done immediately to incorporate legacy into regulated markets? Grandfather them in. Delivery service. Boom. Like, How would that work? What, like, what do you think? Like, Expand a little bit. I would say pair them with business people. Like, here's, I always think that in New York, it'd be great to like have co-roles, right? You have someone who's an expert in this from New York that's got you know, that can get shit done and someone from another market that has experience with cannabis and you kind of pair them together. I also think it'd be great. Like their compensation structure would be based on like KPIs and metrics that they both can meet together. Just like Yeah. Kellen. Uh, I would say lower the barrier to entry and increase the like, number of like make it like infinite licenses like if you have like ten thousand dollars right so it's not crazy but it does cost a little bit so someone at least is taking it serious and then just lower the barriers to like real estate and all of these other options you know and so then it's just kind of creates more of like a level playing field and then it's like made the best man win you know and it's gonna be a total nightmare at first i imagine because that's how it was in a lot of these other markets it is it is is. (laughs) (laughs) but i mean like what are we it's like one half does the other. What do you think, Brian? <laughs> I think both those answers are perfect. And Lulu, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, all I can think about is the fact that people in the city have been getting weed delivered to their apartment for forever. So uh, I don't know how that ever changes. I think their expectation is that is the same thing. And pairing them with some sort of establishment and whatever sort of, I don't know, protectionism that we're trying to get from regulations and making sure safety of products, all that can find a solution. And I had, can only hope that we can blend the experience and the talent of all these people who have done the legacy for so long, who are who are maybe a little more hesitant still to come to the light, but deserve to be so because they've got such incredible brands. And maybe that's what makes them so special in some aspects is the fact that they are a little more hidden, but it's definitely a hard balance, but it's one I, I hope 
continues to to blend as the the overall market evolves. Oh, can I can I roll back to yeah, yeah. the you asked? Strang Gang, New York, and who are they? Friends. Well, like what what do they do in the industry? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I probably can't Google them, right? <laughs> yeah, they can. They can Google that. I can Google um, that. Uh, A little tease piece. They're growers, cultivators. Well, yeah, I mean, so Smokers Club. I mean, sorry, I had a brain. No, it's okay. I just Smokers Club. There's like the Astro Club guys. That's sure. Buddies Bodega, Tainted BK. There's a lot. There's. They're all friends. You know, but their shit is so strong. And I'm just like, I can't. Like, I need the two MGs. <laughs> make, make it a little lighter for, for me and Lulu. Yeah, exactly. So, Lulu, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to attend their events. Where can they find more information? Yeah, so um, you can always email me. I'm Like, we're all, our team is very approachable. Just Lulu at ontherebel.com. Um, Instagram, we have a great social team um, that will get back to you at ontherebel. Yeah, come to our industry night. Come meet the folks. Come meet the people. Like like you said, um, we love to create the rooms. Like we think that every room has amazing people. We want to create the room where all the good people can come in and like, you know, everyone's approachable. You get to really like just be in, in good, good vibes with good people, you know, enjoying conversation, enjoying products, enjoying, you know, food and drink and, you know, this old world way of connecting over cannabis love it yeah looking forward to attending this was a lot of fun thanks for taking the time guys if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on apple or spotify all reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast from the bottom of our hearts thank you Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Elland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.